Good morning. I want to thank you uh, first and foremost on behalf of our church's leadership team for your prayers and your consideration uh, over the last few days. Uh, we had a very, very productive uh, leadership retreat, and um, I think that um, you will be pleased when we meet and sort of let you know um, the, the details of that leadership retreat when we meet. I think you'll be very pleased with what uh, you find. Uh, so I'm thankful for the prayers. Uh, we felt it. Uh, it. All of our leadership retreats are generally productive, but it seems like uh, a lot of things went a little more smoothly this trip even than, than others. Um, so we're, there, we're very thankful. We know that even though what we're planning is like very physical or very things, things of a physical nature, we know that they're all really spiritual, that the plans for this church, if they're not spiritual plans, if they're not thought out in that way, then um, they're almost certainly doomed to fail. So um, we thank you because your prayers are, are, are what, they're what shepherded us along the way. I want to move into Romans chapter 14 today. And what we're going to discuss is the body of Christ walking in love and understanding. The body of Christ walking in love and understanding. I plan to give you sort of an overview because Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 14 very similar. It's talking about the same subject. Today I plan on giving you just a, an overview with some, hopefully some pretty good action steps uh, as we move forward walking in love and understanding. Uh, would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Gracious God, we come to you humbled by your words today. Because we know that it is the God of the universe who loves us and cares for us and who has shown us the greatest example of love and understanding that we could possibly receive. Lord, would you help us not only to willingly receive your love and your understanding and your patience and your kindness but would you help us as believers to be able to especially and abundantly be able to show that to other people of the faith, to other believers. That as we walk together, we would be kind and tenderhearted. We would be considerate. We would not elevate opinions over fact, opinions over objective truth. Even if our opinions are based on spiritual understanding. Lord, help us to be gracious and kind and merciful because you are gracious and kind and merciful to us. Help us to forgive because you have forgiven us. Help us to love because you first loved us. Lord, we praise you because today is your word and because of that, it will not return void. It will implant in the hearts of those who hear it. And by the grace of God, it will produce fruit that not only helps this church, but makes an impact on this world. We give you all the glory for everything that you're going to do. Help us to decrease as you increase. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Over the last few, uh, or excuse me, last week in particular, we, we discussed Paul's commands for the church to walking in love. To walking in love. The first thing that he pointed out to us. That we need to wake up and walk in the light. Wake up and walk in the light. Today is a day to put aside. The old things of our past life. And to walk in the light. No more meandering. No more waiting. No more. Um, I'll do it tomorrow. Wake up and walk in the light. And if we. Walk in the light. We are walking in maturity. We're putting things of the darkness away. Things of our old life away. We're a new creation. And we're going to walk as a new creation. We're walking in freedom. That's with a clear conscience. Um, when uh, an elder of a church is said to be, need to be above reproach. But I would say that it is a command for all believers to walk in a way that is above reproach. Above reproach simply means 
that when the accusations fly, they fall on deaf ears. Because everyone that's around you and everyone that knows you knows that those accusations that people make aren't true. When accusations actually hurt is when they're true. And that's when we get defensive. And that's when we get uh, angry. We need to be above reproach so that no matter what people say about us, we can, understand, we can live in peace because we are living for the Lord. And we need to walk in sacrifice. Walking in love in the faith with our church is giving of ourselves. It's giving of ourselves to the body of Christ. It's giving of ourselves to others in need. It's giving of ourselves, most importantly, and finally, and firstly, for the glory of the Lord. He shifts his focus a little bit today, Paul does, and he goes from an exhortation to walk in the light, to wake up and walk in the light at all cost, to the understanding that as we're walking in the light, and as we have this passion and this fervor that causes us to wake up, that we're going to come across people that are at different levels and have different backgrounds and have different understandings of what the Scripture teaches than we do. Different levels of maturity. You've heard me say this a bunch of times. Uh, we have, within our own body, we have people who are, who are at different rungs of the ladder, right? Some people have just put their feet on and they're trying to climb up and they're trying to get to that next level of spirituality and and some people are a little further along and and some people are even further along and our responsibility is not to always hound someone for being at a lower rung of the ladder for being for not being where we are our responsibility in love and as the body of Christ is to exhort that means even if we have to to step down and pull that person up with us in a in a loving way. To walk in patience and kindness and love and sincerity towards those who are not quite where we are. And I think that that's what Paul is kind of hinting at today. That within the body of Christ, there will always exist different levels of maturity. And we are not necessarily the maturity police. As a matter of fact, if we are in certain levels, I think we're called to test the fruit and I think we're called to exhort people and lift people up and encourage people to do better. But if we are um, being the maturity police, uh, it is definitely not our primary responsibility. It appears that Paul, in trying to teach us how to walk together in understanding, is saying that maybe our primary responsibility as members of the body of Christ is to first walk in love in a way that is kind, in a way that is understanding, in a way that is patient, in a way that is sincere. To where if we hold each other accountable, because there are varying opinions in the church and varying ways of thinking, if we hold people accountable, it will be only on the objective truths of the gospel of Christ that we have discussed and the things that we know. A problem arises when we walk in one body as the body of Christ. As people do, they try to find out what God has for them uh, in the Word. And then as people naturally do, as you start obeying the things that God has for you in the Word, and you're a spiritual being, so you try to find other areas of your life and in a spiritual way that you can commit to the Lord. And what ends up happening is we have these opinions that we find from the Scriptures that we hold as fact. Now, in and of itself, that is not a problem. It is when we take our, our opinions and we try to force them on other people that it is a problem. We must definitely help hold each other accountable. We must definitely try, we must not try, we must definitely live to the objective standard that the Lord has for us. But we must also understand that we have personal liens and we have personal thoughts 
that maybe only we have gained from Scripture, or maybe within our group, only we have gained from Scripture, that we must be careful uh, how we present those ideals to others. The Christian life is difficult. It's difficult by itself. We are told to walk in faith personally. We are told to walk in faith together. And we are told to help each other out. But when we, when we break it down, this walk of the Christian life, there is more nuance to what we believe than often we give credit. Now, I, you have to hear me. I'm going to give you this side sermon warning. There is objective and final truth that God has called us to follow. And that should be the standard that we all follow and that we all lead others in. That's, I'm not saying anything else other than that. I am saying as we do that, we must be gracious in how we present that. But there is also opinion that we develop, ideas that we develop from the Bible that may not be as objective, that we must be careful to show grace in to all people. There is nuance in the body of Christ. We find from Paul that we must be careful to walk in gentleness, to walk in understanding. It is our, excuse me, it is my inclination, and it may be yours also, to want people to be where you are in the faith. It's a natural inclination. As a matter of fact, it's what drives most of us to share the gospel. We want people to experience and to feel what we have. We want people to agree with us, to walk in at the same pace, and to have some distinct commonalities. And although I think this is a good and righteous hope, this especially in a body of people who are generally different, who come from different backgrounds, who come from different places in life, and even right now are at different places in life, we find that we're going to have just generally different opinions. Even within our own church, we have different opinions on... Um, should we watch TV or how much TV should we watch or what other forms of opinions or uh, entertainment should we use? Should you use tablets? Should you not use tablets? Should you be on social media? Should you homeschool? Should you, is it okay to send people to private school or public school? What type of food you should eat? Is it okay to drink alcohol or smoke cigars? Or um, maybe this is not as much of an issue now, but it was for, I, I remember growing up, um, I, we had uh, my wedding at uh, the last church I was a part of, and we were not allowed to have dancing at our wedding because the fellowship was on the church grounds. And so uh, dancing has been an issue in the church body. We have people in our church that hold certain Calvinistic or Reformed views and others that don't. And, and I mention these specifically because there are Christians, Christians, godly people who fall on both sides of these discussions and these, these points. As we mature, we are given the charge to know God's truth, to trust God's truth, and to follow the truth of God. Then we're called to share the gospel with others. But truthfully, as we share the gospel with others as we know God's truth and as we follow God's truth, we stick to His objective truth as we try to see others grow in the faith. We're called to know and trust and do God's will and to help others in that. But we are not called to thrust those extra conclusions that our personal consciences have caused us to draw. Yes, we should seek to be more and more holy. And because of this, we should follow our conscience as it guides us. 
as we walk in faith. But on things that are not objective biblical truth, our conscience is our guide and not the guide for others. Today I want to help us navigate this line between helping our brothers and sisters in faith and encroaching on our brothers and sisters by forcing our opinions and thoughts on people. So what I've come up with for today and probably next week are commands from the Lord on being a church that is one in understanding. Commands from the Lord on being a church that is one in understanding. The first command, and this is an imperative that Paul gives us, it's a present imperative, which means it is a command that keeps going. It is an active command. The first command is receive the weaker brother. Receive the weaker brother. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, Paul says. Now the problem that is being seen here is between Jewish and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christian was trying to follow old dietary restrictions and specifically uh, specifically on not eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Now, just as the Jewish people had sacrifices, uh, also the Gentiles had sacrifices to gods. And they would burn up animals in that sacrifice. And then the meat would be eaten. Well, what was happening is the Jewish, the Gentile Christians, who did not have the Jewish background, they were eating the meat that was sacrificed to idols. They were just eating what was there. They were eating whatever they wanted. They did not have this predisposed understanding of sacrifices and things of that nature. And so there was this issue that had arisen between Jewish Christians who would, be more strict, who would more strictly follow the dietary restrictions of their old life. And then Gentile Christians who had no understanding of those dietary restrictions. Now the Gentile Christians had a certain freedom because... They did not grow up in that past faith. They only knew from Christ on. Now we see later in, in, in different parts of the New Testament that all food and drink has been open to the believer. That specifically the dietary restrictions of the Jewish people were not applicable anymore. Interesting, interestingly enough here, the weaker one in this story is the one who tries to force their opinion on the free being in Christ. The weaker one in this story is the Jewish believer who tries to force their opinion on the one who is a free being in Christ. A guiding principle for walking in unity then would be to accept those who are weak in faith and do not pass judgment on them and for the person who struggles and like the Jewish person in this story to accept those who Paul calls stronger in faith and do not cast pass judgment on them friends the Christian life is difficult enough without adding to it so it is important that as we grow that we know that God says trust what God says and what God says alone, and it will get you to where you need to be. Leave then the person's conscience up to that person and the Spirit of God. I want to tell you, the mature Christian does not condemn a maturing brother or a maturing sister for not drawing the same conclusions as he does on non-absolutes. So we accept the weaker brother. How do we do that? We endure with them. We endure with them. There are some people that won't get it right away. Now this applies to even objective truths of the Bible. We endure with them. I, when my children are learning to read, every, on every level that my children have learned to read, I almost can't be around. My wife tells me, hey, look what they've learned. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is not driving me crazy. Like, 
my inclination is to slap my kid on the back of the head and hoping that the words will pop out. I'm not kidding. Like, I I don't have the patience. I don't have the patience. I don't have the patience. But, friends, there are people in our congregation that are like that child learning to read. They are trying to... Ah, uh, uh, in faith. Okay? And sometimes it comes out like that. And your inclination is going to be to want to slap them in the back of the head in hopes that spirituality just spews out, right? But that's not the way it is. Because at one point, you also were ah, uh, in, in, in faith, you were walking in early maturity. And at some point, although we sort of get to a higher level and we don't believe it, there was someone refusing to slap us in the back of the head in hopes that it would come out. But instead, they were prodding us along. Good, good, that's right. What, what, that, what does that sound make? That, that's a... Giving us pieces of information. Giving us little tidbits of help. Instead of pushing us over the edge. We endure with the one who is weaker in the faith. I think too, I do think we humbly and naturally share our opinions and conscience with them. Eventually, that person that is maturing in the faith is going to come to a solid standpoint on objective truth, right? Hopefully. That's the hope. You know, Jesus is God. He exists, uh, the, the, the Godhead exists in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's called the Holy Trinity. There's only one way to heaven. You know, all of these things and more, they're going to come to objective truth. So eventually, you're not going to have to just convince them on those objective things. So there will be time to talk about things of conscience and there will be time to talk about things of opinion. But friends, I want to tell you the opinions and the things of conscience that we can't find objectively on the words of the text of Scripture are to be pushed back, pushed down the road. When someone's first working out, someone's first learning to exercise, the first thing you want them to do is get into the gym and learn to eat properly. And then as they go along, you might start talking to them about macronutrients or micronutrients. And you might start talking about how they can work this part of their muscle or that part of their muscle. But at first, you want them to just develop the habits of understanding, this is what I need, and I need to start doing everything that I can to get down that path. The opinions and, and the con- our own conscience, that's sort of like those extra things that will get them over the top in faith. We need to endure with them. We need to humbly and naturally share our opinions and conscience. Now here's what I mean by humbly and naturally. We don't need to share it as if it is the only way. If it's not the only way. And humbly meaning... We don't need to share it when it's not asked or when it's not wanted. Now, sometimes people don't know what they need. So if we share it and we catch a little bite there, maybe we find out it's needed. This is why we have to be so careful with social media. This is why we've had we have a social media statement is because everybody thinks I am very guilty of this. Everybody thinks that because they have a platform, that that means that everybody wants to hear what they have to say. And it's not just, it's, it's not true. Now it goes further than that. Every human has a blog, uh, not a blog post, every human has a podcast now. Because they think that they've got an opinion that everybody needs to hear. It. Friends, I wanna, you need to hear something. Everyone has had an opinion since the beginning of mankind. We just live in a fortunate age, a quote-unquote fortunate age, where you can get your opinion out quickly and most of the time without much thought. Although there are people that might want to hear your opinion, 
Humbly and naturally is not needing to force it or not needing to say it in a way where it is the end all be all if it's not objective truth. Another thing we can do is we walk away, we walk away, we walk away, we step back when our tendency is to want to force people to follow our own conscience. We step back when our tendency is to want to force people to follow our own conscience. Here's what I mean by that. If you are walking along the road with someone in faith and you give them instruction on objective truth and they take it and they grow, you keep walking with them, right? If they don't take it and they don't grow, you try more and more and more. But let's say we're to a certain level of growth. And then you start getting into a matter of opinion or conscience. And they don't accept it in the same way. But they're still walking in faith and they're still growing. If your inclination is to want to get them on your side on opinion and conscience, then walk away. Walk away. Be a friend. Be kind. Help them to grow in those objective truths. But walk away from the feeling uh, that you need to have them come to your side. The feeling that you are recruiting teammates for your opinion or for things that are not absolute. We walk away when our tendency is to want to force people to follow our own conscience on things that are not absolutes from the Scripture. A good standard of measure when we're trying to figure out what that is is we know the Scripture. We trust that the Scripture is God's Scripture. We follow the Scripture. And then we'll have a good understanding of how we ought to teach that to others. Receive the weaker brother. Do you know why it's just practically important to receive the weaker brother? How else will someone gain understanding You want someone to be on your side? You don't force that. You slip it in, right? You just kind of bring it in naturally. You just let it go over time. But my goodness, is it more important that someone agrees with me on homeschooling or someone agrees with me on the divine nature of Christ and His salvific ways? Right? Is it more important that someone agrees with me on every political stance I have? Or that we as a church are a body that should be growing together and one and, 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 and lifting each other up and building each other up and evangelizing the world? And if you ever want someone to be of your opinion, I can promise you, I know this from learning both the good way and the hard way, the, the way to do that is not to put up a wall that says, homeschool people here, or ultra-conservative, there's no other way. That's not the wall you want to put up if you want people to be drawn in to you and to the gospel, most importantly, and to this fellowship. We should receive the weaker brother. Do not quarrel over opinions is the second thing I think Paul commands us to do or not to do. Do not quarrel over opinions. Look at the, last part, the second part of verse 1. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Vegetarians. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. It's y'all thought I know that all of you who saw it on my Facebook thought it was hilarious when I did that a few weeks ago. But this is not a this is not an indictment on vegetarians. Okay, that's not what that's saying. What was happening is the Gentiles were eating all things, and many of those things had once been prohibited in Jewish faith. And the Jewish Christians came in trying to force the old way on others. And there was quite a conflict within the church about these things. Now, although this may not, it still, this conflict still exists very loosely uh, in some circles. Uh, To me, it's just a 
non-issue. I mean, it's taken care of in the Bible. We move on. But some people don't feel as that is true. I had a friend in seminary who, a Christian believer, non-Jewish background, followed the Jewish dietary restrictions. Um, I couldn't understand it. Honestly, I actually think it's objectively wrong. But here we are. So the Jewish Christians came in trying to force the old way on others. There was quite a conflict. And although it might not be true now, there are still some strong opinions that we must navigate. At one time, it was considered sin to dance or to go to the movies or to play cards or to get tattoos or to drink caffeine. Uh, many other things. Uh, we had a, uh, a man that I, I deeply looked up to. He was a pastor at a uh, former church. And he, at one time in his life, I, I thought, it, I'm sure some of you might think this is good, but I would see him drink milk, maybe buttermilk with uh, cornbread in it. I don't know. Some of you might think that's good. I'm not willing to try it because it makes me want to gag a little bit thinking about it. Maybe one day you can convince me with some greasy homemade cornbread and some good buttermilk. But I always thought, man, this guy just has weird taste. But he did it because at one point people considered it sin to drink caffeine. And so he chose as a brother in Christ to stop drinking caffeine in order to not cause anyone else to stumble. Some people over time, as we're trying to walk in faith have definitely had some weird hang-ups. Now, I don't personally believe any of those things that I mentioned a second ago are sin. I don't believe it's sin to drink caffeine or to dance or to go to the movies or play cards or get tattoos or or any of those things. But I do believe there are certain types of dancing that we should abstain from. I think we should be really choosy in what we watch and the things we put on our body. But most of the thoughts on these things are opinions. My wife and I think several things that maybe you don't. Uh, I think homeschooling is the best education. I do. Uh, We thought that uh, when we had our own children that breastfeeding was better than formula. We try to avoid processed food with our children. We think, I said with our children because I ate Taco Bell last night. We think reading... (laughs) We think reading is a, is a better way to occupy the child's mind um, than other forms of media. Our kids don't have tablets at home. They don't, they don't have tablets at all or cell phones or anything like that. They don't have tablets at home. Uh, they don't have tablets at the dinner table or cell phones at the dinner table. It's just not something we do. But also, like those are pretty strict. We don't have a strict bedtime. And some of you do. I mean, they go to bed within... A reasonable time but sometimes we're getting home at their bedtime Um, I think that my kid is a co-laborer with me at the house I tell my wife uh, to encourage her hopefully that her children are little employees they are not clients okay they are little employees they are not clients and she should train them as such She, as the boss, should train them to help clean the house, to have responsibilities. And if their playroom is messed up, it's not like they could go to Chuck E. Cheese and just mess everything up. And she has to come back as the as the employee and clean it up. If their playroom is messed up, they are employees of this house. They should clean the playroom up. They should uh, clean the toilet and the floor in some cases by the toilet. Uh, They should clean the sinks. They should clean all of these things and work in all of these ways because we are not their slaves. They are co-laborers with us in our house. Uh, We don't allow our kids to have sleepovers for various reasons. We think organized sports are okay. We eat out a lot, whereas a lot of you eat at home a lot. I could go on. Um, All of these things, I believe, well, not eating out, but a lot of those things we have come to because of spiritual conclusions. And I could give you the spiritual reasons for those. 
But I also understand that everything that I mentioned right there is only, it is semi-objective and really mostly subjective. It is mostly the conclusions that my wife and I have drawn to our best ability to the glory of the Lord. And so it is not our prerogative to argue and debate or to somehow make you feel lesser because you don't have those same opinions. If you want to know my opinion on those things, I will let you know my opinion on those things. If you want to know why, I will let you know why. And I do think, I stand up here saying, I think everything that I mentioned is pretty great. And most of those things are the best way of doing things. But I'm not going to sit here and put a roadblock between you and I that says, in order to be a partner of Vintage Church, in order to, or, or in order to obey the Lord in the best way you know how, you should homeschool your children. I'm not going to do that. Because I can't do that. I can't do that. If I do that, I think I would be dishonoring the Lord But I would be putting a wedge in between you and I that is unnecessary. It's unnecessary. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to teach you to disciple your children at home. To to redeem the time with your kids. In order that no matter what schooling you place them in, you're going to give them the best leg up to follow the principles and the commands of the Lord. We should not bicker and argue and debate and put in a preeminent role opinions, even if they are thoughtful opinions that are brought about by spiritual discernment. We know the truth. We trust the truth. We follow the truth. But we must be careful not to cause division or disunity over our own personal conclusions. The last thing I want to give you today for walking in one understanding is this understanding understand that we are God's representative but not his final authority we are God's representative but not his final authority there are different levels I want to say this out loud it's going to be hard for you to hear there are different levels of authority it's going to be hard for some of you to hear but God but Blake and Stephen and I are objectively God's authority for this church. Okay? That's going to be hard to hear for some of you because you might not have heard it that way. It, me saying it about me might come across arrogantly. Here's how I know why. Because you're still here. The way you know if a person is supposed to be a leader is if people follow them. If people gravitate towards them. There are other ways. A spiritual leader is speaking the truth. He's objectively following the Lord. He meets the qualifications that the Bible has set aside for a leader. All of these things. If we're doing these things, we're objectively the authority that God has placed in this church. But we're not God's final authority. Our opinions are not God's final authority. There are leaders in this church that are not in leadership positions. And they are authority from the Lord. Older people in the church are an authority from the Lord. As a matter of fact, God believes so, so much that he said the older men are to teach younger men and the older women are to teach younger women. Because there is not just because of some level of knowledge, but because there is an authority that goes along with those Christians who have made it this far. But we are not God's final authority. Our opinions are not God's extra facts That if he could write the Bible again right now, he would add alongside everything that's true. How do we know this? Look at the end of verse 3. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Remember this is specifically Christian interaction. Why are we to not quarrel over opinions with brothers and sisters? Why are we to work hard to make the main things the main things and able to set aside the other things if they're going to be an issue? The answer is found in verse 3. Because God has accepted him. 
Friends, if you are walking alongside other believers today, it doesn't matter if you accept them. Because God has accepted them. The surest, the most objectively true thing about a Christian is that they are accepted by God through Jesus Christ. While it is important that believers do their best to accept other believers, ultimately it doesn't matter what you think of another believer because they are accepted in Christ. Because God has accepted them. If we are a Christian, God has accepted us. Our ideas about homeschool or TV or other things don't make us more accepted or acceptable. And they, sh- and they certainly wouldn't make us more rejected. It is necessary, especially for those new in the faith, that they have an objective standard to follow. And that they can find that, we can help them find that, and they can stick to it. And as we feel comfortable and as we get to know people, we add opinions that we've gathered from Scripture. We add things of our conscience that we've gathered from Scripture to that mix and to that conversation. But the stronger believer understands that all believers are accepted in Christ. And they work to lean into the most important objective truths of the gospel as what we are going to teach and lead with as it pertains to other believers. And as it pertains to their growth. (coughs) And they reserve those other conversations and opinions for times to come. Christians, we have a deep problem within this church and within other churches. We often lean into what is most important to us, which doesn't necessarily line up with what is most important to God. We often lean in to what is opinionated, to what is our own stream of thought, as opposed to what is important to God. The maturing Christian leans in to objectivity. The maturing Christian says, I want to know truth. I'm going to find truth. I'm going to trust truth. I'm going to follow truth. And they go with that. And then when they think about what, how they can help others grow, they say, I'm going to teach them truth. I'm going to let them know that they should follow truth. I'm going to be known, and they're going to be known by truth. As we close, I want to give you a few things to remember as it pertains to walking and understanding, and understanding that we're not the final authority. These were influenced by James Boyce, but really the Holy Spirit in what Paul said in Romans 14. Number one, we are not God. We are not God. He has decided and affirmed what is true. That is what we hold to. That is what we teach. And that is what we affirm. Everything else, although maybe thought out and maybe true, we don't hold it with the same veracity, with the same spirit as we do the other things. I've already said this, but believers are accepted in Christ. Believers are accepted in Christ. It is imperative. That means it is a command that if someone is accepted in Christ, that we do the same also. We do the same also. Now, you may say. I have never personally made someone feel uncomfortable for not receiving the opinion that I have. I've never face to face made someone feel out of place or like they don't belong or uncomfortable for not receiving the same opinion that I have. 
Should we scroll through our social media? Should we scroll through the things that in the heat of the moment we let go? We let go out? We let be said that cannot be reined back in once it's said? Believers are accepted in Christ. And so not only should we practically say, I accept you and I love you. We should also say that with the way we are gentle and understanding with people who do not think like we think or necessarily act like we act or believe as we believe on things that are not objectively true. And even on those other things, there's room for grace. There is room for the understanding, even if it's something that's a major objective issue, right? If someone comes to you and they say, I don't believe that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but I want to be a part of this church. You know what? I'm going to say you can fellowship with us. You can stay here and we'll love you. And here's the opinion that I'm going to try to take. I'm going to try to take that if these, this person is a Christian, that eventually they will come around to what is objective and true. Because the Spirit of God, if they are a Christian, is at work in them. If they are accepted in Christ, they will come around to what is true. We don't have to force it. We don't have to hit it out of the back of their head like the, like the child learning to read. I mean, not that I've ever done that. Something you else you need to under, also you need to understand is that we are all objects of grace. We are all objects of grace. It is so difficult for us to see that when it pertains to others, but easy to receive it when it pertains to us. We all need grace. Where you might be right on homeschooling, you're wrong on this or you're wrong on that. And we need grace to understand that it is with great certainty that we will not all be right all the time. Do you understand that? Have you, have you gathered that understanding in your life? At any time... Every person in this room will be wrong about something. Right? If we are constantly witch hunting to find out every little corner of every wrongdoing, we are not living as objects of grace. Everyone in this room will be wrong about something. At some point, and I really probably, there's a good chance it's going to be simultaneously and continually. We have to find a way, Vintage Church, to be able to be people of grace, but also be people who expect a lot because God expects a lot. And I think there's a balance there. I think there's a way there. As a matter of fact, I've laid it out a little bit for you there. And then lastly, I think the thing that will keep us on our toes, the thing that will keep us ready to be this person of grace is we just always dive in to our own weakness first. If we're all at various times and continually going to be wrong about something, then there should be, never, there should be rarely a time where we put more focus into where other people are wrong than to where we're wrong. You get me? If we're all wrong at some point, and if, if, if the, there's a good chance, I can't say with 100% certainty, that we're all going to be wrong all the time about something, then our energy should be spent mostly focused on finding the areas of our lives that need growth as opposed to finding that in others. I would rather be known as someone who looks in a mirror most of the time as opposed to someone who's looking through glass.
The person that focuses on others, on themselves, I'm telling you, without fail, the person that focuses on themselves will have a following of people that want to hear what they have to say. Because they know what they have to say is with the best motives and intentions. The person who is always focusing on others and where others are wrong, no one wants to hear what they have to say. One, because they've said it all. But two, because there is this feeling that they only have an opinion about what you're doing wrong and not what they're doing wrong. Don't be that person. They are the worst for a church. We've had people come like we've had people come along that way in our church. And it was a great day when the Lord ushered them to another fellowship. <laughs> Don't be the person that no one wants to hear what they have to say because their opinions always out anyway. And because it appears like they're always looking through, looking through a glass house at you as opposed to looking at a mirror. Pray with me today. Lord, I, I repent of being someone who focuses often too much on others while forgetting myself. Help me to be someone who looks at the inner workings of my heart first and foremost and mostly most consistently before I do that with others. Thank you for loving us enough to be patient with us, to teach us, and to show us your truth. We pray that you would continue to bless us with growth individually and growth as a church. That we would love one another, we would be kind, tenderhearted, we would forgive each other, be gracious with each other, and grow in you together. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.